Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. I am your host, Vincent Burhai, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. Joining me as always, Football Outsiders Editor-in-Chief Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders Tribune writer Brian Knowles. We're here to discuss the uh, stats and trivia and, and, and numerical uh, tidbits from Week 10 in the NFL, but I suspect this will turn into 60 minutes of Bill's Vikings discussion. Uh, we will see how it goes. But before we get into that, I do want to mention real quick uh, that we are big fans of our friends at Underdog Fantasy. You can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering? You can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You could even win $50,000 if you grab first place. Or try their pick'em games, where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store. And remember to use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. So thank you again to our friends at Underdog. And uh, let's just jump right in, guys. Was Minnesota Vikings at the Buffalo Bills the game of the year? Probably. Can... Yeah, it, 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 it's going to be hard to top, too. That was the, the second half was just a pile of the least likely events in the history of the world. Just one on top of another. Makes for an incredibly exciting, if not particularly predictive, football game. There were definitely some people who were like, that was the best regular season game of all time. So I like went and made a list of great regular season games. And there have been a lot of really great regular season games. Turns out football's but exciting. I would say that was definitely one of the 16 best regular season games of all time. <laughs> like if I were to make if I were to make like a little tournament of regular season games, I think that that would definitely come out in the top 16. It, it was incredible. It's why we watch football. It, it, it was an incredibly fun game to watch. Yes, unless you're a Bills fan, in which case it was not incredibly fun to watch. It was incredibly frustrating to watch. Well, that's why we watch football sometimes, is to get incredibly frustrated when our team isn't doing the right things. Yes. And yet the Bills mostly were doing the right things until the very end. Well, right. That's that's the thing about this game is, like, DVOA loved the Bills in this game. Like, the Bills gained more yards per play. They had a much higher success rate, like 55% to 41%. And there were four fumbles, and the Vikings recovered all of them, including, I mean, you know, one of the most improbable plays, which is fumbling a quarterback center exchange on the one-yard line, which is something the Vikings had nothing to do with. It was hilarious. In the, uh, in, uh, in the Football Outsiders Discord chat, uh, after the big four-down stop, you know, the Bills fans are celebrating. It's game over. And one voice said, well, you know, it's not over. They're on the insured line. They could, they could get a, they could dig a safety. And they're like, what? The, the Bills are going to screw up a quarterback sneak with everyone pushing behind them. Josh Allen is going to screw up the quarterback sneak. No way. Immediately, everything happens. Right. Everyone, and then I posted crazy. on Twitter. I said, there's 40 seconds left. This is not over. And people were like, no. Like, no the Vikings won. And then the Bills came back. And... And then the Vikings in overtime and then the Bills and then he threw an interception, a terrible interception, when they were in field goal range and could have easily tied the game. Like, it, this was wild. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you mentioned how frustrating this was for Bills fans, Aaron. Why don't you talk a little bit about the post-game win expectancy, which is high for Buffalo? So based on the stat splits of this game, we would expect the Bills, a team with the stats that the Bills put up, to have won the game 98.6% of the time. That makes this the third most surprising wrong team wins game since 2010, which is as far back as I've run PGWE numbers. It's actually only the second most surprising of this season behind the Ravens and Dolphins in week two. But like when a team out gains the other team by like seven tenths of a yard per play and has a much higher success rate and each team fumbles the same number of times and throws the same number of interceptions and runs the same number of plays, you would expect the team that was better to win like 98% of the time. Like this was crazy. Yes, you have here, uh, uh, this is the uh, third most surprising results since 2010. Second most surprising result this season by another crazy game that had, that's going to end up having major playoff ramifications when the uh, Dolphins beat the Ravens earlier this year. Um, and, and, you know, these are the two games that may end up deciding number one seed in the AFC because as of right now, it's the Dolphins on top of that AFC East with the Bills in a wild card slot. Yeah, and I believe the Chiefs currently have the number one seed. They Excuse do. Me. That is correct. They are, they are the and the Dolphins would be the number two, two seed yeah. if the season right. ended. I stand corrected, but uh, the divisional stands. Because I'm excited level. about that Dolphins-Patriots rematch. <laughs> so I, hear uh, again, I don't think the Patriots we'll, – we'll talk about the AFC East maybe, but I, I don't think the Patriots are going to the playoffs actually. But the Dolphins are. Dolphins are. I think we all agree on that. Uh, there's, as we talked about, how many crazy things happened in this game. Brian, there's a list here, like a half dozen items that only happened in this game. They would never happen anywhere else. Somehow they all happened at the same time. Yeah, I've got, I started putting a table together. Just all the unlikely things that happened for the Vikings to win here. We mentioned already the Vikings covered all four of the fumbles that happened. That's that's unusual. But that, that, that happens occasionally. Fumble happens. But since 1991... Only two teams have won a game after turning the ball over on go- on downs on a goal to go situation in the last two minutes. When you t- when you that's supposed to be your last gasp play, and the that, that the team would come back to win after turning the ball over, incredibly rare. Only happened twice since 1991 to the Vikings this week, and the Buccaneers last week uh, when they came back against the Rams. So we, we have been seeing some historically unlikely finishes recently. Uh, Eric Kendricks, who covered that fumble on that bad snap, it is the first go-ahead non-offensive touchdown by a trailing team in the last minute of the fourth quarter since 1986 when there was a punt block returned by, I believe it was the Colts. So that doesn't happen. There's only been two times in the last 10 years that a player has lost a fumble on their own one-yard line, and both times it was Josh Allen. And also... um, Justin Jefferson's very good. I mean, that, that's not a stat, but but I believe that's true. That 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 fourth down catch, the catch oh that, my God. You, that's. I mean, yeah. if you take a still shot of that reception and ask someone to tell you how that play ended, like no one, no one would say, "Oh, well, Jefferson caught that." They might say, "Oh, that was an it was a great interception," or "It was a great pass breakup." 
no one would have predicted that that somehow Jefferson was going to come down with that play. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. incredible. A couple of things here. First of all, uh, you, you claim Justin Jefferson is very good, not a stat. I'm not sure. I agree. I think we can say statistically, it's true. Justin Jefferson is very good. That is that that, that is not an opinion. I think that's a factual statement. Um, so I was uh, I had a kind of a weird weekend, and I was uh, uh, getting caught up, and I, I wasn't paying a ton of attention to this game because. For one reason, I knew everyone else was. I was trying to get to, to, to uh, uh, watch something else, so I wasn't just echoing what everyone else was saying. So I knew the Bills had a lead and the Vikings were rallying, were rallying all this. I knew they had converted a long uh, fourth down play, but I didn't actually see this catch until hours later. And you mentioned the still shot. I've, it's out there. Uh, someone, has, someone shared this on Twitter, and the defensive back – has the football in his hands, but there's Jefferson's hand is between his face mask and the football. And with one hand, Jefferson's able to pry it out of the way and secure it and go to the ground and maintain possession. It's a superhuman freak athlete. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. There's no defense against that. There's no X and O's against that. There's no scheme against that. It's just uh, uh, you got beat by a mutant and uh, it happens. Yeah, we we talked about whether or not this game is going to be was the best regular season game and so on and so forth. That catch is going down in the pantheon of great catches. I mean, it's going to be a rung below, like I don't know, the helmet catch or something, just because it's a regular season game in November. But that's right up there with like Odell Beckham's one-handed grab. That's going up there with any of the great catches you can think of in NFL history. Just, just amazing. And while it didn't technically do the score, it did leave them getting down to the one-inch line, which led to the score on the other side. So he, I mean, yeah, exceptional. Yeah, that was amazing. Jefferson now has 20 games with 100 or more receiving yards, which is the most for any player in NFL history in their first three seasons. Uh, he broke a tie with, I believe, it was Randy Moss. So Justin Jefferson, okay, statistically very good. Well, we'll call it a stat. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy Je- Justin Jefferson on my fantasy team guy. Let me tell you, it's been very valuable. <laughs> I bet it has. I bet it has. Now, Aaron, you mentioned that uh, DVOA liked the Bills better in this win, even excuse me, in this game, even though they lost. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about these splits and uh, what they did better than the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, they were you know better on offense, better on defense. That you know usually is the way it is when you when you have a big split like this. Uh, but the Bills had a really big first half, second half split. They had 60% offensive DVOA in the first half and minus 26% in the second half. So even though the Vikings got a little better, better on offense in the second half, mostly this was an issue where the Bills' offense just had major problems in the second half of this game. And it is the third straight game where the Bills have had negative offensive DVOA in the second half of the game. And they have been outscored 43 to 12 after halftime in their last three games. Yeah, we'll uh, uh, get into this here about uh, uh, the the Bills and their struggles lately, or struggles, struggles in the second half of games. And a lot of it just comes down to Josh Allen uh, having a lot of problems making some really, really bad turnovers. And there was a comment in the Discord chat about, you know, the, what has happened to Allen? What is it? Why is what is this strange little slump? And I think looking back on it, if you want to take the long term, the, the, the strange part, the anomaly is going to be that I think it was the 2020 year he had when he was the near MVP and MVP candidate. Yeah, that's going to be the anomaly in Josh Allen's career. The rest of it is going to be this guy 
who can run for 50 yards at any point and throw the ball 60 yards downfield at any point and also throw the ball straight to a defensive player at any point. Um, I, I'm, I'm starting to think this is what we're going to settle down to. This is what Josh Allen is and, and, and the kind of player he is. We, um, we had the discussion a week ago. I was talking about the Bills and, um, you know, were the two interceptions that Josh Allen threw uh, in a blowout like predictive? And then he did it again this week. He threw interceptions like they seem kind of predictive to me. It's amazing in the in the just in just the second halves of these last three weeks, Josh Allen has put up negative two hundred and fifty DYAR. That's not just the worst in the league. That's worse in the league by almost double anyone else. He just these late game interceptions are are killing the Bills because on a play by play basis in the second half against the Vikings, they weren't really that bad. They had a success rate of like forty nine percent. They were okay, but it was the the two interceptions, one at the goal line, the other in overtime. It was the aborted snap in the end zone. It was that huge sack uh, in the third quarter. I think it was that turned a third and one into fourth and 14, which turned like, maybe a go for it situation into a punt. Like if any of these things, it's, it's not that they're doing bad on a play-by-play basis. It's these huge moments where Allen is doing something, uh, you know, it's not that the the fourth down interception wasn't the most dis- terrible decision in the world. I mean, it's fourth down, you, you're forcing it to make a play. It's unlucky that the Vikings got a huge run back off of that. Right. But you're talking these a handful of plays where Allen is just, I'm going to, I am Josh Allen, I'm going to make a hero play. Like the interception in overtime was, was crazy. The receiver wasn't open. They were in field goal range. A tie would have been really good for the Bills' odds. It, it was, they did not need to do that. There was no need to try to squeeze the ball into that window. But Josh Allen, because Josh Allen is really good and Josh Allen knows Josh Allen is really good, tried to make what it would have been a spectacular play. It was unnecessary. It was, it was, it was a bit of hero ball. Patrick Seeley says in the uh, discussion thread, uh, and don't forget, you can, if, you know, if you're listening to us live, you can talk on YouTube or Twitch and ask questions. And he says, maybe the new Bills offensive coordinator sucks. I don't think this is Ken Dorsey's fault. It's not Ken Dorsey's fault that Josh Allen didn't see a defender in overtime. Like that play design was fine. In fact, I think Devon Singletary was completely open on the right side of the field for a first down. Like that's not the offensive coordinator's fault. I think you could make a bigger argument that there's a different relationship between Alan Dorsey as there was between Alan Dable a year ago. And that, yeah. that gets, that begins getting into the more, I guess, psychological aspects of playing quarterback of knowing what you're doing on every, any given play. And it's possible Alan has taken on more of the, well, I'm going to do things now. I'm the focal point of this offense kind of thing. We're getting into like, you know, psychoanalyzing Josh Allen at that point. And that, that, that gets difficult. So, I think there, there might be something there with the change of you know voices in his, in his ear and stuff like that, but I, no, it's not. It's not Ken Dorsey sucking. That's that's not what's going on here. So I mean, well, here's yeah. the thing about what's going on over the last couple of games. I'm not that worried about the Bills going forward because first half, second half splits do not tend to be predictive. I don't think that the Bills have suddenly forgotten how to play offensive football in the second half of games. The problem is that what is predictive is your total performance. And the fact that Allen is throwing these stupid interceptions, next time he might throw one of those stupid interceptions in the first quarter. Like nothing says it's going to be in the second half. If he's making bad decisions because he wants to play hero ball, then that's going to be a problem all game long, not just in the second half of game. That's what I would be concerned about. And it gets back to what we talked about a lot before the season, especially on my shows with Mike Tanier, which is 
People thought I was a little crazy before the season when I said I would rather have Herbert than Allen in the regular season because Herbert is much more consistent. And then in the playoffs, you want Allen because the highs are so high that you take the risk of the lows. And that's the thing is Allen is just a like, he's a guy with just like a really wide range of possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and you mean, you, you absolutely want that high end and it's it's just a matter of managing the low end and, Bills have done a great job of that to this point in his career. I mean, but you know, you know, yeah, I, I, I agree that I think the last three games are a bit of an aberration. Like teams have bad games; they happen. You know, it, it just they haven't happened all in a row here. So now, now, and if what's wrong with the Bills? What's wrong with the Bills? Well, they're still number one in DVOA. Like they, they, they are still a good football team. Yeah. They have, they're having a, they're having a bit of a rough stretch right now, and it's better to have that rough stretch in November than it is in January. Yeah, uh, uh, Patrick here is seems kind of upset that we're a little too uh, uh, putting a fork in the bills and saying they're done. I don't think that's that's quite what we're saying, but it, uh, it's the, you know the, these problems are persistent and they're going to have to deal with it and, and and to make them back to bite them in a much more important game. Than right. This, I mean, uh, they're, they're, I still think the Bills are the best team in the league. They're just they're not perfect. They're not perfect. I'm, I'm double checking these AFC standings to make sure I uh, get them right this time. Um, but but they are looking up. At Miami in their division and Kansas City overall, and there's a bunch of six and three teams now. They're tied with the Jets of all teams, and they're tied with the Ravens. They're tied with the Titans. So there is a knot, a big cluster of, of teams over the top of the AFC, and 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 they're, and they're certainly among them. But uh, it's going to be an exciting race down the stretch. But he he's right in that we should certainly not uh, uh, write off anyone just yet because I certainly in mid November of 2021 would not have projected the Bengals to get to the Super Bowl. So. There remains a lot of football to be played. There is a cluster is the slogan of the 2022 season. It is. It's a 32-team cluster, really. But uh, one of those 32 teams is the Minnesota Vikings, who, of course, uh, because they upset the Bills and because Washington upset Philadelphia on uh, Monday night, suddenly the Vikings are tied for the best record in the league, in fact. And uh, I'm double-checking that one. I got it right this time. So that's good. Uh, so we're all still skeptical, skeptical of them, I think. And, um, you know, they've had a lot of luck in close games. Brian, tell me about their, their record in, in, in close games and how they've done when, uh, when the game is on the line. The Vikings are now five and one in games where they tra- have trailed in the fourth quarter. They're seven and zero oh in one score games overall. And the last te- the uh, last time a team had at least seven, one score wins without any losses was the 2009 Colts who got all the way to the Super Bowl before they ended up losing. To, that's the end they lost to the Saints. But the Vikings are basically dodging bullets every, every week. And they are making fewer mistakes than their opponents in these close games. That's, that's not, clear. Yeah, that's not super predictive going forwards. But hey, you know, it's working for right now. If, you, if you're letting your opponents beat themselves over and over again, and you're not beating yourself, you're going to win a lot of football games. Not usually this many football games, but, you know... They are, they are not making the big mistakes key moments. DVOA hates them. Yes. They are, <laughs> it really does. They are the first 8-1 and one team to ever be negative. So I think we have a graphic, which hopefully we're showing, with the top, uh, sorry, the worst 8-1 and one teams by DVOA. And you see, you can't even really compare the Vikings to the other teams on this list because they're all at least 10 percentage points higher Mm-hmm. Then this year's Vikings, the 2014 Cardinals, where Carson Palmer got hurt and they sort of crashed out and lost in the playoffs. Uh, the 2012 Falcons are on this list. 
the 82 Raiders and the 82 Redskins who didn't, you know, go on a run in the playoffs and won the Super Bowl. But the 82 Redskins and Raiders are so much better than this year's Vikings and DVOA. There's like no comparison here. So it's like there's just never been a team that we've rated this badly with this good a record. They're if we looked at seven and two and eight and one teams, they'd be like the third or fourth worst. Like it's really remarkable how much the ratings don't like them. And it's weird because part of the narrative around the Vikings, I mean, have been, they've gotten better as the year has gone along. They just added Hawkinson, you know, Daniel Hunter has gotten there. That's not what DVOA says. DVOA, they've actually, they're actually at a negative 9.9% DVOA over the last four weeks, which is worse than they began. So, but according to DVOA, they're, they're getting worse and they're still yeah. winning. That, that, they have the been outgained is... by their opponents by something like half a yard per play. Yeah. we I've seen sometimes you, a, a mediocre team gets in a run early and the, the confidence builds, and by the end of the year, they turn into a good team. And like you say, that is not what's happened to the Vikings. They're actually starting to play worse than they were in September and October, but they're still winning. So it's I, I did go, go through all our splits to look for, like, what are the Vikings doing well? Like, what can we, like, pat them on the back and say they're doing well? And, of course, all these splits are available with FO Plus subscription in our database. Okay, they're 10th running the ball. Good. They're ninth in offense on third downs. So that's good. That's good. Their defense is ninth in adjusted sack rate. And seventh in adjusted line yards. But they're not as good in run defense DVOA because they have problems with short yardage runs. They are fourth against deep passes. And they're top 10 in kick returns and punts. Everything else, the Vikings are mediocre or worse. All those things do kind of paint, uh, you know, they, they paint the picture of a team that's not making, you know, the, the back-breaking mistakes over and over again. You know, right. they're converting the third downs. They are not getting themselves in bad field position after kicking punts. They're preventing the, the deep ball to, you know, the yep. one play drive things. So they're, they're doing... The things they're doing well in are the things that would could kill you in one play or one or two plays. They're making their opponents play, go long drives. They're making them they're making them go play after play after play in short yards. Mm-hmm. And just if you if you have to do more things to be successful, there's a higher odds you're going to screw one of them up. Yep. So I mean, the, the, there there is you can see what DVR is showing what they're doing well and how they're winning. It's just that that that, that shouldn't be. There, there should be other things there, and it's, it's more the Vikings are just limiting possible mistakes. Yeah, we, we, we put this together. They're getting getting good field position. They're running the ball to give the makeable third downs. They're converting those third downs. And the defense, uh, when you look at their the, uh, uh, high in both adjusted sack rate and, and adjusted line yards, so uh, they're, they're making opponents get into long yard situations. The sack rate means they can give up some yards, but then uh, set a team back in scoring range, so prevent some touchdowns, turn some field goals into punts. And uh, like you say, we're good against deep passes and make opponents work and, and wait for opponents to make a mistake and beat themselves. And in 2022, that's a viable strategy. It doesn't seem like all this is going to be sustainable in the long term. Eventually, they're going to have a bad day on third downs or uh, they're not going to be so consistent running the ball. But, you know, they're they're living on the edge and making it work. But if they go four and three the rest of the way. That's a 13-win team. I mean, this is... You know, yeah. we're going to be talking about them in the playoffs. They're going to be one of the top seeds in the NFC. I don't think they're going to be the top seed, but 
it's gonna be they're gonna end up playing like look, look like the Cowboys or the Giants in the in the first round of the playoffs in Minnesota, which is gonna be a very interesting kind of game. Yes. Uh, you know, but yeah, they're, they're rope doping their way to you know at the moment tied for the number one seed behind they're the Eagles. The Giants this week in what could definitely be Ooh. a playoff period. Yeah. Yeah. An exciting matchup of, of uh, uh, maybe the two biggest overachievers, uh, given yeah. where we thought where, where we thought they would be coming into the year. Well, the Giants are for sure. I think we were high on Minnesota, but anyway, uh, these are not the only teams in football. As it turns out, there's 30 more. Sorry, they're playing they're... Dallas this week. I don't know why I thought they were playing the Giants this week. Sorry, they're playing Dallas this week in what could also be a playoff preview. Yeah, still yes. Sorry, I, I knew it was an NFC East team. So. Uh, we're gonna, uh, let's talk about an AFC East team in the Dolphins. The Dolphins won again, and Tua Tagovailoa is playing very well, even when Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle aren't carrying the team. Uh, Brian, talk to me a little bit about this Miami win over the Cleveland Browns. So the uh, Dolphins destroyed the Browns, 39-17, and I don't think the game was as close as that score would indicate. Uh, so they jumped from 12th to 7th in DBOA and took over first place in the AFC East because the Bills lost as well. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa is leading the league in basically everything. Uh, he's leading in DYIR. He's leading in DVOA. He's still slightly above 1984 Dan Marino in DVOA. Uh, and the really interesting thing is that he he did it this week without a Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle having a crazy good game. They combined for 110 receiving yards. Uh, Jared Klassen has been on Twitter all morning talking about how this is what this was Tua's best game in his career so far. Plenty of highlights, plenty of things, plenty of uh, you know going through his reads, going through his progressions, making the, making the right plays time after time after time. This, I don't think any of us believes Tua is as good as our numbers give him, as our numbers claim he is. But the way he was playing last, uh, yes, uh, on Sunday was 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 astonishing. He uh, now thrown for three touchdowns in his last in each of his last three games. Uh, the only other Dolphins quarterback to do that was Dan Marino, so he's keeping good uh, good franchise company at the very least. And while he's getting a boost from uh, the the Shanahan style offense and obviously having those great receivers, he's making play. You don't put up a fifty percent DVOA over ten weeks without you know throwing the ball pretty decently. And yes, he doesn't have the strongest arm. Some of his deep shots are still fluttering a little bit, and he's but. They're not asking him to do that. They're asking him to run a very specific offense, and he's doing it at at amazing levels. Yeah, he's been fantastic, and I still would hesitate to vote for him for MVP over Mahomes, but he's probably number two at this point. I think I was just going to say, you know, every week he keeps this up increases the you know yeah. increases the how much you have to because there's only so much you can say. Well, it's a small sample size. Always got to receivers. If he keeps this up, at some point he's got to be, you know, he's got to be in that argument. And you can't, for for the time being, you can't use the argument that they're not leading the division now, because yeah. for and uh, for, for for a while that was people were saying. Well, now they're in first place in the AFC East. Uh, he did miss the that I think it was two games he missed, um, and 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 that'll count against him in the voting. Uh, so yeah, I do think Mahomes is still the favorite, but like Aaron says, if if something happens to Mahomes. Uh, Tiger Valoa is the guy who jumps in in the first place there. I don't think Patrick Sealy. Patrick Sealy, by the way, is right. The Browns' defense sucks. Oh, sure does. So I, it's weird. They they've got some good players. Like, how can a defense with Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett? I mean, I realize Ward's been out a couple weeks, and I think he played this week though. And Awusu Kormora has been out, and they have no defensive tackles to speak of whatsoever. So you can run on them easily, but. Like the Browns' defense is kind of like horrible. 
Uh, it's pretty bad. Um, so the Dolphins here are now going to go into their bye week. Then they get another horrible defense, the Houston Texans. Um, and then things pick up with the 49ers against the Chargers, not a tough defense, and then the Bills. So uh, so some interesting games coming up for, down the stretch here. But, yeah, we had Tagovailoa, number two, at quarterback in quick reads this week. We had both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert among the top five running backs. So it was a, it, it was a throttling, a solid throttling of the Cleveland Browns by the Dolphins there overall. Guts and stomps. That's that's the kind of game we want to see from a team that has a chance yes. to win the Super Bowl. We want to this was a stomp, man. This was. Yeah. Well, you take a bad team and you make them look even worse than they actually are. And if the season ended today, all four AFC East teams would make the playoffs. Although the Jets and Patriots in particular, their schedules get a lot harder the rest of the way. So I don't think that's going to happen. Right now, 16% of our simulations have all four AFC East teams making the playoffs. And I'll point out 13% of our simulations have all four NFC East teams making the playoffs. Yeah, we don't we don't have any numbers on it because it happened late last night, but the, that commander's win over the Eagle shakes everything up. Everything up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, makes them five and five. So I mean, yeah. the command, uh, DVOA does not like the NFC East as much as it likes the AFC East, but they have more wins. Yeah. The, the, the wins and losses, uh, uh, you know, in, all four teams Something are like better. 88% of Sims right now, at least three NFC East teams make it. Like the Giants I mean, yeah. and Cowboys just have really good records, and the Eagles yeah. just have really good records, and it's going to be really hard to kick them out of playoffs. And there's, and there's not a strong middle class in the NFC. There's, there's Right. In the AFC, teams. there's more of a strong middle class to kick yeah. the Jets and Patriots out of playoffs. Right. It it's, it's, looks like it's the uh, Giants, Cowboys, 49ers with the – Packers and Commanders now trying to sneak their way in. And that, for the time being, for the time being, still a lot of football left to play, but that looks uh, uh, like the way it is. Um, so let's talk about this Packers now, because the Packers also had a notable win to keep themselves alive in this playoff race. Yeah, that's, that's a big question. Last week when we looked over the playoff picture, we said, oh, that, you know, the Commanders were the bottom line and everyone below them really had not much of a chance. And then the Packers come out and get uh, – I guess the question is, was it a season-saving win or not? Because after losing five in a row, they came back to beat to beat the uh, Cowboys in overtime and have jumped it back into the top half of DVOA. And Aaron Rodgers passed well, right? Which is the biggest yeah. thing has been Aaron Rodgers passing has not been good this year. And he, he had a very good passing game in this game. And that's what makes me think, yeah, maybe we're going to see a little bit of movement from the Packers in the second half. You know, they might they might not be dead yet. Yeah, uh, the Packers fans have been waiting all year for one of these young receivers to step up and to get that chemistry with Rodgers. And Christian Watson finally did it with over 100 receiving yards and three touchdowns. He's the first Packers rookie to do that since James Lofton in 1978. It's been a long time since they've had a young receiver actually like have a game like this. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh. Aaron Rodgers this week, uh, the best passer of the week on throws to wide receivers, which is great news for Green Bay because it's what they've been struggling with all year uh, with their offense. So um, if, if they can do that and they still have Aaron Rodgers, if he can still play like even a shadow of Aaron Rodgers and get some plays in these guys downfield, it changes their entire team. I would be more comfortable with the Packers if they had beaten the Cowboys uh, convincingly. Uh, but, you know, the, the fourth quarter comeback was was incredible. Before Sunday, the Cowboys were 195 and 0 all time 
when leading by 14 points after three quarters. They had never lost in their entire franchise history, and Aaron Rodgers pulled pull that off on them on Sunday. It's I mean, the, that's this stunning. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys it, have played a lot of football games. <laughs> They've been around for a ha- uh, half a century. Yeah, no, almost, yeah, 60 years. So yeah, they've been very good for most of that time. That, that, that therein lies, lies the issue. You know, uh, uh, they, Tom Landry's teams weren't blowing very many, many fourth quarter leads. No, no, but, no, no nor were Jimmy Johnson's. Yeah, uh, Mike McCarthy knows a thing or two about blowing fourth quarter leads, and I, I, I am sure that the Packers fans are, you know, mixed feelings about showing Mike McCarthy a bad time in his return to Green Bay. I'm sure that that Packers fans were were torn about about that. And especially Packers quarterbacks. I'm sure they were they were they had mixed feelings about uh, beating uh, their old coach. We mentioned here the Packers are, are are not dead yet at four and six. They're still hanging around the perimeter of this playoff race, trying to make some kind of desperate run. Uh, these next three games: Tennessee at home, at Philadelphia, at Chicago, and then they're by. Um, so we'll see. We are, are we liking their chances of being a relevant team late into December or even January? God, the regular season goes January eighth. Forgot about that. Relevant, maybe, but I do think it's too little too late. I think after five straight losses, including losses to like the Giants and the Commanders, who are going to be the, the kind of teams they need to beat in like if there's a tiebreaker situation, I think they've they've given themselves too big of a hole to dig out of. Yeah, um, if they beat the Titans, there's no tiebreaker goodness out of that. Right. Yeah, I mean that 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 is the least useful win <clears throat> you could possibly have. Uh, I I think they're going to be in the race down the hunt, but I think I think they just I think they've they've given themselves too much to overcome. Yeah, they still play the Titans, the Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Vikings. That's a that's a pretty tough uh, pretty tough, tough slate there yep. with seven Patrick games to go. When you're already up against the wall, you have no margin for error. Yeah, Patrick Seeley points out like if Seattle collapses, well, if someone collapses, then the Packers could uh, could take advantage of that. But they really need two teams to collapse. Yeah, one of the two NFC West teams and one of the four NFC East teams need to collapse. And if, if that happens, the Packers are right there with a chance to make that run. But they need some, they need they need significant help. Hmm. Well, one of those teams that the uh, another, another team they play is the Chicago Bears, who I have now put Justin Fields on my must-watch category. Uh, if he is playing and I can I can put him on, he's going to be one of the teams on my uh, uh, Sunday ticket screen. I can watch four games at once there. And uh, he's up there with Pat, Patrick Mahomes in the must-watch d- division because he's going to do something very, very exciting. I can't tell you which team it's going to help, but on any given play, he could do something that you must see uh, uh, one way or another. Yes, he's... Uh... He's been great the last few weeks and exciting. More, more, more than great, he's been super watchable. Yes. Watchable. That's the word for it. That's the word for it. There, and there, there, there's no... watchable, something that has not happened in quite some time. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no two-yard checkdowns on third and ten going on here. Uh, there's 60-yard runs and long bombs downfield and brain-dead pick sixes and, <laughs> and who knows. But, but uh, a lot of this is what he's doing on the ground. Brian, tell me a little bit about the rushing ability of Justin Fields. Fields is challenging for the quarterback single-season rushing record. He's currently second all-time through 10 games behind Lamar Jackson in his 2019 MVP season. Uh, Over the last five games, Fields has run for 555 yards, and that shatters the record in the Super Bowl era. Uh, Lamar Jackson had 473 yards in his best five-game period. Fields is almost 100 full yards ahead of that. Uh, He's the 
in this game, he was the fourth player in NFL history to have a 50-yard passing touchdown and a 50-yard rushing touchdown in the same game, joining Jackson, Cam Newton, and Ace Parker. Oh, yeah, Ace Parker. We need another Ace Parker right away. That's a tremendous name. Here's the, and this, this is the set I love the most, and this is the one I'm going to keep watching. The Bears have rushed for 200 yards in five straight games. That hasn't happened since the passing rules changed. The last team to do that was the 1976 Pittsburgh Steelers. The record is seven games in a row, which was set by the 1972 Pittsburgh Steelers. And with Fields running the way he is, you don't push it, put it past them to be able to challenge those kind of, you know, pre-passing uh, era records. They, they, they have every chance to pull that one off. At the very least, they've been the, they've been the best rushing team uh you know, since 1978, which is basically the modern era when you talk about, you know, offensive football. At the same time, the Bears are now the first team in NFL history to score at least 29 points in three consecutive games and lose all three of them. So uh, all this rushing is not helping uh, their win-loss record. And feels very strange. And feels still has a... Most times when teams rack up huge rushing numbers is because they're killing second-half leads, and that's not what the Bears are doing nope. at all. Fields still has a negative 9% passing DVA over the last four weeks. So, I mean, there was some morning show talk like, is Fields in the MVP conversation? No. No, he's oh, still no below average No disrespect Dan Orlovsky. No disrespect Dan Orlovsky, but come on. He is 22nd among qualified quarterbacks over the past four weeks in passing in passing DVOA, which I mean that's still a lot better than he was at the beginning of the year. He was at negative 50% over the first six weeks. And it feels he was become, unwatchable early in the year. He has now become a watchable passer and an electric runner. Yeah. He did have a negative passing DVOA this week, but that's only because of the uh interception, which is a little bit of saying, you know, of Matt how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln. But you I was know, they yeah, yeah. Only because of the you know, the one horrible play that caused the Bears to lose was he was he bad. You know, take that one out. If Fields can be can stay at like just an average passer, then his rushing then his rushing ability makes him makes him a uh, makes him an incredible yeah. weapon to have. He doesn't Absolutely. have to be he doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have to be two attacking by lower. No, he just has to be an average passing quarterback. And and he's he's approaching it. This is what you want to see out of quarterback in year two, right? You want to see yep. improvement as time goes on. I don't we know why it took the Bears so long to figure out, hey, maybe we should take advantage of Fields' mobility. And it's not like they're running like the Lamar Jackson offense. A lot of these plays are, you know, rollout scramble kind of things that you are where Fields has the ability to take off. Like he has now permission to take off to yeah. a certain extent. But it's not like they're designing the entire offense around Fields running. They're just giving him the green light and he's, and he's, and he's uh, you know, shredding people because of it. I, had, I didn't break down this week's game. Um, last week's game, when he almost set the rushing DR record, and now I'm forgetting who he was playing in that game. Uh, was it Miami? Uh, yes. 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 Um, yeah. Every time he had a designed run against Miami, he picked up a first down. Every single time. <laughs> and uh, uh, the scrambles were the big plays. There were a couple of failed scrambles in there. But when they just said, Justin, go get a first down, he said, okay, and he got the job done. Um, so they're, they're, uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with the bears. We were talking about the, the bears like a month ago about what would happen if they got a top five pick, would they go for a quarterback to replace Justin Fields? And I, I think, first of all, they're probably not going to get a top five pick, but I think we can take the bears out of the quarterback market. When we're looking at the, uh, 2023 draft at least. Yep. 
Yep. He's definitely broken out the last few weeks. And at this yep. point, the Bears would be looking for tools for him to improve. Yep. This is why, uh, you know, whenever you hear like, oh, like which rookie quarterbacks on the best, which second quarterback, you have to give these players a little bit of time to develop. You know, you, you these you can't really make a final judgment on a quarterback until a uh, first round pick until they're you know in late second, early third season. You, you got to give them time to actually develop because you know we we, we got a little bit of a flack this week for saying that you know Fields is more exciting than uh, say Zach Wilson or something. In the Wilson has the significantly better passing stats at this point in time. It's like because we can see what what happens when Fields does well. We like we see, we see the developmental aspects of him. We can see this is what the core of his game will be. This is what he does well, and if he can improve those other things, this is who he become. You have to give quarterbacks time to develop into who they can be. Like we, we could have written Josh Allen after off after one season, and look yeah. where he is now. You know, you, yes, you but to- we can't you can't bring up Josh Allen as a sample because otherwise you would hold on to every horrible quarterback. Oh, every horrible quarter would be like, yes, but what about Josh Allen? And then you would hold on to a lot of horrible quarterbacks who would never develop. At the same time, Allen did take a big step between year one and year two, which is yes. what we've seen from Fields in the last two weeks. That that's the underlying point. You want you want you have to give some at least a time to make that improvement. Yeah. Well, the Indianapolis Colts also improved, and one of what I thought was one of the biggest surprises of of, of the week. Uh, uh, Jeff Saturday, the coach who is not a coach, maybe he is a coach. Uh, the, the the Colts come in and they beat the Raiders in if, Las if Vegas. He's the one who talked Ursay into putting Matt Ryan, okaying Matt Ryan going back into the lineup, then he's a coach. Because the biggest difference with the Colts was not Jeff Saturday. The biggest difference with the Colts was Matt Ryan. He may be toasty, but he doesn't suck like Sam Erlinger. That was the biggest difference. Talk a little bit about Jeff Saturday's debut here, Brian. Okay. Uh, the Colts have not had great luck with debuting coaches recently. Uh, he's only the second of the past eight Colts coaches, which goes back into the Baltimore era, I believe, to win their debut game. He joins Jim Caldwell. I mean, Tony Dungy lost his first game. Frank Reich lost his first game. Everyone else did. Um, and all I could think of when I saw, you know, you know, Jeff Saturday celebrating, th- there's a picture that's got that was very, uh, very big in 49er circles. Uh, after Jim Tom Sula's interim game at the end of the 2017 season, where they put up a list of the best win percentages in Niners history, and you had Bill Walsh and you had George Seifert, and at one and zero, you had Jim Tom Sula, and here's the future. And then everything else happened after that. Uh, but actually, I think a better comparison for Saturday might be Mike Singletary. If I'm talk- even if I'm just talking about bad 49ers coaches, because Singletary came in, in the middle of a, of a pretty terrible 2008 49ers season, and the Niners had a winning record the rest of the year because they had just checked out on Mike Nolan. Mike Nolan was not doing anything. Singletary was able to rally the troops around, around you know, like personality and uh, gumption and playing hard to the whistle and stuff like that. And they gave a short uh, dead count, dead cat kind of bounce. Like they, they got better reaction to a little bit until uh, the season, until the next year when Singletary actually had to design a team and stuff like that. So that might be what's happening here a little bit. Saturday came in and gives that shot of adrenaline to a Colts team that was floundering under, you know, that if, 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 if the, if the locker room had checked out on Frank Reich a little bit and Saturday comes in this, no, we can actually do this. Let's go and charge. And if that kind of, you know, a you know, bit of like emotional boost helped them up to this win, uh, you know, that might be what we're seeing here. Or yeah, we have to also, say the Raiders are just a terrible football team. That, that, also that's the Raiders are a wreck. They are. The Raiders, the Raiders are, are a wreck. 
0-6 in one-score games this season. So they're a wreck that's happening that's also having bad luck. Yeah. And um their defense has been terrible. And their offense is without Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro. Patrick Seeley in the chat points out that you know that emotional boost happened to the Raiders last year because this was a playoff team last year. You know, yes. after they fired Gruden, you know, they they went on a run and you know they couldn't play off team this year. Shannon's comes in and all of a sudden they are their bottom feeders. It, it's mm. it's it's bizarre. And this so, week we, we we get the we get the privilege of watching Josh McDaniel and the Raiders take on Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos in 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 a battle of two incredibly underperforming teams. Uh, you know, can can we make this a loser leaves town match? Can we can we get to, get some better coaches in here, please? Uh, you mentioned Matt Ryan being in a quarterback here, and I think the defining play of this game for both teams actually was thirty-seven-year-old Matt Ryan scrambling for a thirty-nine-yard gain. Um, it was the longest run of, his, run of his career by nearly double. He had a twenty-yard run way back in twenty ten. At the spry young age of twenty-five, here he is. You know, we, we all thought he was on the verge of retirement. He's breaking off the longest run of his career. How does this happen? Well, Mike Tanier broke it down and, uh, and, and walked through. And it, when you don't watch Ryan, just watch the Raiders in coverage. And there's like three or four guys who have just checked out on that play. And they're not paying attention to him. They're trying to find a receiver to cover. One of the guys who is chasing him looks appears to be jogging after Matt Ryan and, and not really caring. Someone's got a chance to make a tackle. They just kind of sidestep him, let him cut back inside. They let Matt Ryan juke them back inside and, and, and go for more yardage. It is a horrible play by the Raiders' defense. They look completely disinterested. They look completely not trying. And the response from Raiders' ownership is to verify that Josh McDaniels will still be the coach for 2023. <sighs> I mean, I'm it would be a lot better for the Raiders and the Patriots if McDaniel's just went back to the Patriots. Yeah, actually, it would have for both teams. Yes, and, I uh, am generally against firing a coach after one year, but this is not the first time we've seen McDaniel's struggle as a head coach. That being said, I will say McDaniel's in Denver was a good head coach. McDaniel's in Denver was a horrible personnel guy. Yeah, that's what happened in Denver. Was his dis. Terrible personnel moves like drafting Richard Quinn in the second round and drafting Alfonso Smith and then trading him for a seventh round pick. And I mean, just ridiculously bad personnel moves. Wins and losses wise, he was reasonable. And that that that, that quarterback out of Florida he drafted. That, did, that didn't work yeah. out too well. That did so, not work. yeah. Um, in, in any perfect world, uh, Josh McDaniels versus Nathaniel Hackett would be loser leaves town, and then in a perfect, perfect world, they would tie and they'd both be gone. Um, but I don't think we're gonna get that lucky. Uh, one player who is having a good year, one team that is having a, 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 a good year, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, at least they're in first place, and at least they won this week. Uh, Tom Brady, <laughs> he's really high in quick reads every week, and he's really high in the overall DVOA rankings. People ask how. And the answer is ball security. Um, you got to know here on the, on the interception you can get to, but there was a point in this game where everyone's seen it. Leonard Fournette threw a pass to Brady, which was a horrible play and was easily intercepted. At that point in time, Leonard Fournette and Tom Brady had thrown the same number of interceptions this season. One. They'd each thrown one. And uh, then things, uh, uh, Brady, Brady uh, went ahead in that mark later in the game. 
Yeah, Brady had thrown 399 consecutive passes this season without throwing an interception until he finally threw one uh, in the second half. Yeah, the all-time record, yeah, the the record is only 402. He was three passes away from yet another uh, all-time record. Uh, so I guess start again. Uh, let's see if you can catch up with the rest of the season. And I like the stat that Brady is the first player to win a game in four countries. Yeah. USA, United Kingdom, Mexico, and Germany. But you never won one in Canada. You never got to beat beat the Bills in Canada. So that that's the that's the one country he's missing from his resume. Wouldn't it be great if they brought back NFL Europe and he could play in Scotland and uh, in, he Iceland would at the age of fifty five. He just keep going. Uh, well, his former backup Jimmy Garoppolo is uh, having all, all he he's does is win games. Garoppolo is now 10-2 and two in all time in games where he does not throw a touchdown pass. That's the best win percentage for any quarterback in such games since 1950. It's incredible. I, I went back because I saw that the NBC flashed up that stat, and that, that, that can't be right. And that, that's right if you're looking at win percentage, it, it, which is crazy. But then I started looking, well, who else is up there? And I found all the quarterbacks to be at least five games over 500 in games where they don't throw a touchdown. And here's the top five. It's Otto Graham. Arguably the best quarterback of all time. Uh, Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback of all time. Peyton Manning, arguably the best quarterback of all time. Roger Staubach, arguably the best quarterback of at least the 1970s. And Jimmy Garoppolo. They, they, this is one of those, one of these things is not like the and other. Pat game. Hayden. Yeah. yeah, the rest of the group is Pat Hayden, uh, Lamar Jackson. David Woodley. Yeah, Dave, Dave Woodley and Don Heinrich. So the, 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 you get more Garoppolo-like players as you get down. Right now, yeah. Garoppolo is up there with some very rarefied air. I recognize Don Heinrich's name, but I've forgotten who he played for. Uh, Heinrich. Man. Oh, Brian, come on now. It's an obscure football player yeah, in the past. I, I had to start Ace Parker, not Don Heinrich. Uh, Heinrich was for the Giants. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was the Giants of the 50s. So he was working with uh, Vince Lombardi's offense at, uh, at that point in time. And so the, obviously it was, was the proto uh, Packers sweep, stuff like that. Those 50s Giants teams had Lombardi as offensive coordinator and uh, Tom Landry as defensive coordinator. So the head coach, Jim Lee Howell, kind of just had to sit there and read the newspaper while everything else was going on because the 1960s are being developed on his offense. Don Heinrich went to high school in Bremerton, Washington, played for the Washington Huskies. So there you go. Yeah, that's why that, that that's why you're, you're, you're a local boy for you. That's probably, that's probably why I recognize his name more than anything he did in the NFL, honestly. Ten and two. Ten and two oh. without throwing a touchdown, which is crazy. Like it's not crazy when Lamar Jackson's up there because most of the games where he doesn't throw a touchdown, he's running for a touchdown, so he's providing value with his legs. Garoppolo just, you know, he's running the offense as as is being required, I suppose is, is the best way to phrase yeah. that. And he, and he's doing it very well. And Elijah Mitchell had more carries than Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey, yeah, they yeah. They, they, they split with yards, but yeah, Just Mitchell had kill McCaffrey fantasy owners. Yes. Yep. Well, at least they, at least McCaffrey got the touchdown. That that, yeah. that gives them something. And I'll, I'll yeah. look at the, the 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 catching value. You would think, but yeah, and uh, Shanahan said after the game, they're going to keep splitting time. He made all this major investment, Christian McCaffrey, and it's still going to put him in a committee. Just they keep making weird decisions over there in San Francisco, and it keeps working. Yep. Yeah. The other 49ers, uh, the other 49ers that we have is that the Bosa's are now the seventh family with at least a hundred sacks. Yeah. Although so, we're yeah, missing yeah. one of them from our list here. That's that's the strange thing. I was gonna mention that before we went on the air. 
the, the stats that that what the NFL's put out is that they're the seventh family, and but they the NFL hasn't listed the families, so I had to dig up and try to find out wow. you know who they they were, and I found five other groups. I found the Watts, I found Clay Clay and Chase Matthews, uh, Howie and Chris Long. Uh, I think Howie Long is doing most heavy lifting there. Uh, John and Irvin Randall, and Arthur and Chandler Jones. I cannot find the sixth family. So if 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 if, if a reader wants to go out there and find the other family that has backed up hundred sacks, uh, where each player has at least one sack, it's, it's not like the Bruce Smith family did because he did it by himself. <laughs> you have to have at least multiple players with at least one sack. I could not find. I I looked for a couple hours and I could not figure out who the seventh family was. So if you can f- figure out the people who are up there with the Bosa's and the Watts and the Matthews's, I would love to know. Yeah, it's the Matthews family. When people talk about great NFL families, it's always the Mannings and Watts that come up first. And the Matthews clan, by sheer numbers, there's there's been like nine of them over three generations now. And uh, some of them here have been legit superstars. And uh, that's not even counting Bruce. So yeah. uh, the, the Matthews did very well. Right, here in, the offensive in the lineman part of the family, right? Yes. Yeah, long so, time. <laughs> different stat we'll have to develop for them somehow. But uh uh, the 49ers are doing very well. The Bosa is doing very well. And as we talked about earlier, Patrick Mahomes is also doing very well. Yeah. Uh, just because I feel like I, I we need a weekly Patrick Mahomes is really good stat. Here's your weekly Patrick Mahomes is really good stat. He has thrown for four. He threw for four touchdowns this week. He has now thrown for four more touchdowns in 22% of his career games, which is the highest percentage in league history by a mile and a half. In second place, it's Aaron Rodgers at fourteen point nine percent. Just there are not enough superlatives uh, to yeah. describe how good Mahomes is. We, we, we talked about how how great Tua is, is and how how he's you know has like the fifth highest DVOA in NFL history. And it's like yeah, but but Patrick Mahomes still exists. Just he does he does know. this every year. He does. He's yeah. fantastic every year. So yeah. and you know there was a a, a time where you could say well. You know, Dan Marino was never as good again as he was in 1984. And, and that's probably true. You know, he was still great yeah. for the next decade and a half. Uh, but, you know, you kind of keep waiting. Maybe this is just a one or two year fluke for Mahomes. And if I'm doing my math right, this is his fifth year as a starter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been Patrick Mahomes every year. I don't yeah, think that's going to change anytime soon. They've reached the AFC Championship in the last four seasons. And you, you wouldn't count against them uh, doing it again this year. I mean, just the, it's... It's become that every year now it seems like it's 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 being well who's going to challenge Patrick Mahomes to be the top quarterback in the NFL is it going to be Josh Allen is it Tua like it's going to be well it's Patrick Mahomes and whoever the flavor of the of of the year is to a certain yeah. extent because Mahomes is just going to be there looks like for the rest of his career and it, it, we are privileged to be able to watch him every week he's amazing yeah yeah that's a good way to put it is a is a privilege and. Uh... Before we just wrap this up, I'll, I'll drop this one last Chiefs note we have, which is in their win over Jacksonville, they committed zero penalties. And uh, when you have Patrick first Mahomes... Team, first team this year to have zero penalties in a game, yep. When you have Patrick Mahomes and you don't beat yourself, you're going to win a lot of football games, and that's why they're the best team in the AFC right now. And uh, so that is going to do it for this week. Before we go, I do want to once again mention our friends at Underdog Fantasy because you... The Football Outsiders listener, you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. 
If your season-long fantasy teams are floundering, you can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win the traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can even win $50,000 if you grab first place. Or try their Pick'em games, where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun right now, right now, over at underdogfantasy.com. Or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code Outsiders now to double your first deposit up to $100. That is going to do it for this week. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Aaron Schatz. I want to thank Brian Knowles for joining us. That was a lot of fun, guys. Let's do it again next week. Sounds good. All right.